following program is intended for mature audiences. Welcome to Rudy's Revelation. Finding revelation in the news and meaning in media. It's October 25th, 2020, 10 days till the U.S. presidential election. Today I'll be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation. Our National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien urged Americans to get out and vote. And he tells us the difference between meddling in the election influence an election and actually whether foreign adversaries can change the vote or not also be checking in on Sunday morning propaganda at our favorite feel good feature news program CBS Sunday morning correspondent Mo Rocca gives us a dose of predictive programming as he speaks to historians about disputed election of 1876 between Republican Rutherford B. Hayes Democratic Samuel Tilden, an election that was rife with voter fraud and suppression. We'll also be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. And of course, I'll be going over the weekend headlines, all in the next 30 to 50 minutes. But first taking you back to school, giving you some historical context on how to frame this week's news narratives. The word of the day is espionage. The practices of spying or using spies to obtain information about the plans and activities especially of a foreign government or a competing company. Now, everybody on the news has been talking about Russia, Russia, Russia in terms of espionage and interfering with the election. But realistically, China has infiltrated the United States and particularly the Democratic National Committee. Wikipedia has its own page, a list of Chinese spy cases in the United States. And you can see... This is just recent history, 2018, 2019, 2018, 2015, 2019, 2019, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020. These are all just recent spy cases. And the page goes on and on and on. Secretary of State Pompeo warns governors of Chinese infiltration into U.S. It's happening in your state. Now, this is back in February when the Secretary of State was meeting with governors of the states throughout the nation. The Chinese Communist Party has infiltrated various levels of Americans' infrastructure and is working to destroy the values of the United States, according to Pompeo. Also warning state governors to be wary of China's infiltration. And he mentions we can't ignore China's actions and strategic intentions. 
This is a web page from the Department of Justice from 2009. Former Boeing engineer convicted of economic espionage and theft of space shuttle secrets for China. Another page from the Department of Justice. This is from 2019. Former CIA officer sentenced to prison for espionage. Kevin Patrick Mallory, 62, of Leesburg, Virginia, was sentenced to 20 years in prison to be followed by five years of supervised release after being convicted under the Espionage Act for conspiracy to transmit national defense information to an agent of the People's Republic of China. And then, of course, just recently, from January of this year, Harvard University professor and two Chinese nationals charged in three separate China-related cases. In the most well-known case, Dr. Charles Lieber, 60, chair of the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at Harvard University, was arrested, charged by a criminal complaint with one count of making materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statement. This is from the New York Times. Justice Department charges Chinese company with espionage. This is from 2018 in an article by Alan Rappaport from Wired. And this is from 2018, China's five steps for recruiting spies. Cases of Americans allegedly recruited to spy on China's behalf follow a basic pattern. Beware of Chinese spies offering laptops, women, and educational stipends. And especially watch out for odd LinkedIn requests. The Justice Department unsealed new charges against 10 Chinese intelligence officers and hackers who it says penetrated a year-long scheme to steal trade secrets from aerospace companies. And it goes on and on from The Economist. Blocking students is not the answer to Chinese spying in America. Some visas are being revoked for no good reason. And this is, a, this is from the Rothschilds magazine, The Economist. From the Orlando Advocate, espionage cases point to Chinese infiltration of the FBI and the CIA. This is uh, September of this year. The lead here on this story, Chinese intelligence agencies appear to have repeatedly penetrated their U.S. counterparts in the past 20 years, and the spying has led to federal prosecutions and lengthy prison terms for Americans who are involved. This is from CNN Politics. Chinese Chinese fugitive taken into custody as U.S. claims Houston consulate was part of an espionage network. This was July of this year. From the diplomat, uncovering Chinese espionage in the U.S., a detailed look into how, why, and where Chinese spies are active in the United States. And this is an article by Nicholas Eftemiades. 20 years ago, he testified before a U.S. Congressional Committee on Chinese Espionage Operations in the United States, left members that what I thought is an ominous warning, do something about this now, or you'll be calling me back in 20 years screaming, my God, how did this happen? On October 30th, 2018, the U.S. Justice Department announced the indictment of 10 Chinese intelligence officers and cyber hackers from the Ministry of State Security, 
The United States charged the group with stealing airline engine technology from French and U.S. companies. It goes on and on. From Politico magazine, how China infiltrated U.S. classrooms. Even as they face criticism, Chinese government-run educational institutes have continued their forward march on college campuses across the United States. Everybody's heard of the Confucius Institutes, but it goes even deeper than that. Last year, the, uh, according to this article by Ethan Epstein, last year the University of North Carolina at Charlotte made an announcement to great fanfare the university would soon open a branch of the Confucius Institute. The Chinese government-funded educational institutions that teach Chinese language, culture, and history, the Confucius Institute would, quote, help be better equipped to succeed in an increasingly globalized world, says Nancy Gutierrez, the dean of the College of Liberal Arts and Scientists, and, quote, again, broaden the university's outreach and support of language instruction and cultural opportunities in the Charlotte community. But the Confucius Institute's goals are a little less wholesome and edifying than they sound, and this is by the Chinese government's own account. The Confucius Institute is an appealing brand for expanding our culture abroad. It has made an important contribution toward improving our soft power. More than a decade after created, Confucius Institutes have sprouted up among 500 college campuses worldwide, and more of 100 of them in the United States. And it goes on and on. Here from the Center of Immigration Studies, stopping Chinese infiltration of U.S. educational and research institutions. Significant steps taken by PRC's proxies, spies, but more can be done. In an article from June 25, 2020 from Dan Cadman, And we can go on and on about espionage. Here from the Foreign Report on foreign policy. From the magazine Foreign Policy, U.S. closes Chinese consulate in Houston amid surge in Chinese espionage cases. This is from July of this year. In its latest escalation in the increasingly tense bilateral relationship. And the lead goes off. The Trump administration ordered the closure of the Chinese consulate in Houston. A significant diplomatic escalation between the two rival powers. U.S. officials who spoke to foreign policy indicated that the consulate closure is in response to a surge in Chinese espionage in the United States. Hence our word for the day. And for our book of the day, we got two books. Less than 3% of you people read books! The Hidden Hand, Exposing How the Chinese Communist Party is Reshaping the World. This is a book by Clive Hamilton. The Chinese Communist Party is determined to shape the world in its image. The party is not interested in democracy. It seeds only a bitter ideological struggle with the West, dividing the world into those who can be won over and enemies. Many political and business elites have already been lured to their corner Others are weighing up a devil's bargain. So everybody should check out this book. It's very enlightening. Then another book here, Agenda Grinding America Down. Curtis Bowers, 
gives a fascinating look at the people and groups that have successfully targeted America's morality and freedom in their effort to grind America down. Get right into the news here, into the headlines. Wall Street Journal, this is from today. Facebook repairs measures for possible election unrest. Tools include slowing the spread of certain posts and tweaking users' news feeds. This is an article by Jeff Horowitz and Deepa Sitharaman. Facebook teams have planned for the possibility of trying to calm election-related conflict in the U.S. by deploying internal tools designed for what it calls at-risk countries. The emergency measures would include slowing the spread of viral content and lowering the bar for suppressing potentially inflammatory posts. Previously used in the countries including Sri Lanka and Myanmar, they are part of a larger toolkit developed by Facebook to prepare for the U.S. election. I want to just, as long as we're getting in the headlines, I want to share this from today. Here's a, a Freudian slip by Maggie Brennan uh, from Face the Nation where she says the FBI plotted to kidnap and kill the governor of Michigan in her interview with uh, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. When likely voters are polled, they say it's inappropriate for the president to lead the chant, lock her up, as he recently did in regard to Michigan's governor at a rally. You know, there's an FBI plot to kidnap and kill her. That FBI revealed that they had foiled this plot. There it is. And then she goes back and corrects herself. Unfortunately, her face was on camera. Moving right along to the next headline. Again, from the Wall Street Journal, uh, there have been a lot of stories on Facebook recently. Um, Facebook seeks to shut down the uh, NYU research project into political ad targeting. In a letter this month, Facebook says the project violates provisions in its terms of service that prohibit bulk data collection. Now, if most people watch the uh, debate and um, the headline here from Politico was about Biden's mention and his warning of a dark winter. Don't worry, we're going to end this by the summer. We're about to go into a dark winter, a dark winter. And he has no clear plan, and there's no prospect that there's going to be a vaccine available for the majority of the American people before the middle of next year. President Trump, your reaction? He says you I have no plan. I don't think we're going to have a dark winter and at all. We're opening up our country. We've learned and studied and understand the disease, which we... So, the reason that people got alarmed about dark winter is because as it's listed here in Wikipedia, Operation Dark Winter was the code name for a senior level bioterrorist attack simulation conducted in June of 2001. It was designed to carry out a mock version of a covert and widespread smallpox attack. Of course, organized through John Hopkins Center for Civilian Biodefense. Dark Winter was focused on evaluating inadequacies in national emergency response. But the scenario is what worried people. His mention of Dark Winter 
involved an initial localized biological attack in Oklahoma City with other attacks in Georgia and Pennsylvania. So I would not worry about Oklahoma as much as worrying about Georgia and Pennsylvania. So I think people should look out for this because the last thing you do is you want a career politician in a debate giving a warning about a dark winter. From the New York Post, meet your Chinese face, Facebook censors. And here's the lead that you have to worry about. There are at least half a dozen Chinese nationals who are working on censorship, a former Facebook insider mentioned. So at some point, Facebook thought, hey, we're going to get them H-1B visas so they can do the work. So they're getting internet censors straight from communist China and bringing them over here to work on Facebook. And they are part of what is called the hate, spree, the hate speech engineering office. And most of its members are based at Facebook's offices in Seattle. Many have PhDs and their work is extremely complex involving machine learning, teaching computers how to learn and act without being explicitly programmed. And so they'll be helping Facebook, I guess, with the upcoming election. This is from Fox. Laptop thought to be Hunter Biden's contained disturbing items, repair shop owner says. And this is obviously from earlier in the week. Laptop thought to be Hunter Biden's contained disturbing items. The owner of a Delaware computer repair store says he was frightened by what he saw after a man he believes was Hunter Biden dropped off a laptop that allegedly contained emails detailing an opportunity for a meeting with Biden's father, former Vice President Joe Biden, and a top Ukrainian energy executive. Hunter Biden's business partner played key role in meeting between Chinese businessmen and Obama staff. From the Hill, Senate panel to interview former Hunter Biden business associate on Friday. From the Wall Street Journal, Israel-Sudan agreed to normalize ties in U.S. broker deal. Accord ends decades of hostility as one of Africa's largest countries joins a broader diplomatic realignment in the Middle East. In this article from the 23rd, Felicia Schwartz and Nicholas Berrio. Israel and Sudan agreed to normalize ties in a U.S. broker deal on Friday, the White House said, ending decades of hostility. The deal helped Sudan emerge from international isolation after the U.S. sanctioned it in the 1990s for harboring al-Qaeda's then-leader Osama bin Laden and aiding terrorists. From the AP, in an article by Mark Levy, Pennsylvania mail ballots can't be discarded over signature. Now, this is big news because everybody's concerned about how the vote's going to be counted with concerns rising in Pennsylvania that tens of thousands of mail-in ballots will be discarded in the presidential election over technicalities, officials in the presidential battleground 
told counties they aren't allowed to reject a ballot solely because an election official believes a signature does not match the one in the voter's file. Well, that's one of the ways you detect fraud, so I don't know. From the New York Post, Rudy Giuliani says Borat sting is complete fabrication. Now, most of you know what happened here. I mean, um, Borat had done this to Ron Paul at one at one point. Um, they lure the people into a bedroom and then they do some sexual stuff and try to get it on film. Um, so Rudy Giuliani says the Borat sting where he was supposedly caught in a compromising position with a woman in a hotel room is a complete fabrication. I was tucking in my shirt. Last week I was talking about um, Sasha Baron Cohen and what kind of person he really is. And obviously um, uh, a partisan operative. This is from Reuters. IMF concerned over post-COVID social unrest across Latin America. The International Monetary Fund is concerned that social unrest will make a comeback in lots of countries across Latin America once the COVID-19 pandemic recedes. Economies across Latin America and the Caribbean are forecast to contract as as a group by 8% this year with an uneven 2021 bounce at just 3.6%. And most countries are not seen returning to pre-COVID output levels until 2023. That's the economic result of this engineer crisis. From the New York Post, Catholic leaders condemn Pope Francis' endorsement of same-sex unions. Well, uh, this is the leader of the Catholic Church saying it's okay to, uh, to be homosexual or, or to be married. Um, I really don't have a problem with it, but uh, he's the friggin' Pope. <laughs> it's from France 24. After teachers murder, a hunt for appeasers who disarmed French secularism. Uh, basically, this is a story about how the French uh, secular state has been run over by Islam. Um, they go on talking about um, Charlie Hebdo, uh, along with this recent beheading of a French teacher who was talking about... Um, Charlie Hebdo and the murders that resulted there after a cartoonist uh, drew a cartoon of the prophet Muhammad, which um, you can't really do uh, if you have a Islamic community because um, they take that stuff very seriously. Outrage over the murder has fueled calls for the more robust response to a murder murderous ideology that has once again shed blood on French soil and a more assertive defense of the core principle of la cité, loosely translated as state secularism, it has been exacerbated by existing divisions, particularly on the left of the political divide, between advocates of by-the-book secularism and others who want the la cité to be disarmed. From Bloomberg News, six time a charm, Puerto Ricans vote on statehood once again, now we have a bunch of stuff going on by the left, and that is include uh, adding states and packing the Supreme Court. So this is one avenue to secure uh, one-party rule and uh, the end of the Republican Party and uh, drifting off into socialism. 
This is from the Los Angeles Times. Even if Trump loses, Trumpism may outlast him. And the lead goes, even if President Trump loses re-election, evidence is growing that his populist, personality-driven movement will continue to dominate the Republican Party, overpowering conservatives who are trying to sketch out alternatives. The clearer signs can be seen among the Trump acolytes making early moves uh, to win 2024 Republican nomination. This includes South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley. Um, but the real uh, the real add to this is is that um, the liberty movement is a movement that existed before Trump and has its roots in the Tea Party. Um, but there are plenty of people that are part of the liberty movement that are in government, outside of government, and want to return to, well, America free of um, socialist ideology, for the most part. I'm going to turn to the New York Times. Activists turn facial recognition tools against the police. We're now approaching the technological threshold where the little guys can do it to the big guys. And of course, this is from the New York Times, so that's why it's characterized in that way. Um, facial recognition is, is not a good thing, and, and, especially, <laughs> and especially in a way to dox police officers. In early September, the lead by Kashmir Hill. In early September, the city council in Portland, Oregon, met virtually to consider sweeping legislation outlawing the use of facial recognition technology. The bills would not only bar the police from using it to unmask protesters and individuals captured in surveillance imagery, they would also prevent companies and variety of other organizations from using the software to identify an unknown person. Well, that's the whole point it was developed. That was the whole reason for the state to be able to identify people. I don't necessarily agree with it. But, I mean, and they just, this is the New York Times giving legitimacy to attacking the police because um, doxing someone is an attack. Or, uh, more specifically, giving... Um, a catalyst to people that will actually conduct a physical attack. I mean, you're giving them, you're helping them with logistics. That's really deplorable. As, as China clamps down, activists flee Hong Kong for refuge in the West. China calls them violent criminals. Asylum seekers from Hong Kong are the latest catalyst for deteriorating relations between Beijing and Western countries. It's an article by Austin Ramsey and Maria Abi Habib. In Western democracies, they've been welcomed as refugees escaping Beijing's tightening grip over Hong Kong. In China, they have been denounced as violent criminals escaping punishment for their seditious activities. A group of Hong Kong activists who have granted asylum in the United States, Canada, and Germany in recent weeks 
are the are the latest catalyst for deteriorating relations between China and the West. Western leaders have asserted that it will stand up for human rights in Hong Kong, while these Chinese officials have rebuked the countries for what they call interference in Beijing's affairs. The protesters' newly conferred status has made clear how profoundly Hong Kong has changed since China imposed a tough new security law last summer. In the mid of the COVID uh, crisis. Now, if anybody still believes that COVID happened organically, I mean, this is just another reason. Everybody could see the yellow vests in Paris, uh, the protests in Hong Kong, uh, you know, Donald Trump and populist movements around the world. Um, This was engineered. For decades, the city had been a place of shelter for people escaping war, famine, and political oppression in mainland China. Now the semi-autonomous city has become a source of, of asylum seekers, yeah, because China basically took it over before they said they were going to. That's China. Apple, Google, and a deal that controls the internet in a landmark antitrust complaint, the Justice Department is targeting a secretive partnership that is worth billions of dollars to both companies. When Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai, the chief executive of Apple and Google, were photographed eating dinner together in 2017 at an upscale Vietnamese restaurant called Tamarin, the picture set up a tabloid-worthy frenzy about relationship between the two most powerful companies in Silicon Valley. Yes, just like the Democrats and Republicans, they're working for the same objective, and that is technological tyranny. How the Epic Times created a giant influence machine. Since 2016, the Falun Gong backed newspaper has used aggressive Facebook tactics and right wing misinformation to create an anti China, pro Trump media empire. Uh, they get this all backwards, of course, in this. Here's Kevin Roos again. Kevin Roos, because this is a ruse. For years, the Epoch Times was a small, low-budget newspaper with an anti-China slant. I mean, these are all, uh, we're just talking about asylum seekers. These are all asylum seekers that left communist China. And so they wrote about communist China. So this paper is a free paper that was handed out in the streets of New York. But in 2016 and 2017, the paper made two changes that transformed it into the country's most powerful digital publishers. The changes also paved the way for the publication, which is affiliated with a secretive and relatively obscure Chinese spiritual movement, Falun Gong, to become a leading purveyor of right-wing misinformation. First, it embraced President Trump. So I guess that's right-wing misinformation. Treating him as an ally in Falun Gong's scorched earth fight against China's ruling Communist Party. And this is what I mean by uh, mischaracterizations. Scorched earth fight. Okay? They're taking the side of the Chinese Communist Party, which banned the group two decades ago and has persecuted its members ever since. Its relatively staid coverage of U.S. politics became more partisan and more articles explicitly supporting Mr. Trump and criticizing his opponents. Why? Because Mr. Trump, President Trump, 
is one of the first presidents to take on China because uh, previous politicians have been selling out this country to communist China. Around the same time, the Epoch Times bet big on another powerful American institution, Facebook. The publication and its affiliates employed a novel strategy that involved creating dozens of Facebook pages, filling them with feel-good videos and viral clickbait, and using them to sell subscriptions and traffic, and drive traffic back to the partisan partisan news coverage. Partisan news coverage. The left has every mainstream media outlet, including the New York Times, and that's why the New York Times does this hit piece on the Epic Times, which was like Alex Jones once was. What wasn't even worth mentioning because it was so non-mainstream. It was alternative press. So here is the New York Times taking another hit at some of the alternative press. Today, the Epic Times and its affiliates are a force in right-wing media with tens of millions of social media followers spread across dozens of pages and an online audience that rivals those of the Daily Caller and Breitbart News with similar willingness to feed the online fever swamps of the far right. I mean, this is basic. This isn't a news article. This is this is propaganda. And then we're going to go into the Sunday review, which is the best and the worst of the week in op-ed. That's editorials and opinion pieces. And there's plenty to choose from. We've heard quite enough from Trump. That's from Frank Bruni. We're going to concentrate on this one, the radicalization of my small town. And you, you'd think you'd know what that was, but um, you don't. You know, you think of radicalization, you think of the left. So you're thinking Black Lives Matter or Antifa came to a small town. Um, that's not what happened. So this is an article by Brian Grow. Brian Grow is a novelist. And so when I started reading this article, I thought maybe, yeah, it's, no, no, no. It's been radicalized by Trump supporters. So he goes on to, to say in his opinion piece here that Biden-Harris signs are being removed from his property. Well, I can tell you right now that People on my street who put up Trump signs have them taken down nightly. So, and I've been following the story since um, 2016 when I witnessed people looking at surveillance footage of teenagers stealing Trump signs off people's lawns. And these are high school students. And the people watching it were like, good for them. Good for them. A high schooler committing a crime, good for them because it doesn't, or their actions jive with your political beliefs. It's crazy. And then, of course, from uh, the New York Times editorial board, RIP for the GOP. The party of Lincoln had a good run, then came Mr. Trump. All of the things that Mr. Trump has destroyed, the Republican Party is the most dismaying. And then it goes on to say how um, 
Trump destroyed, didn't remake for better, destroyed the Republican Party. All right, so we're going to go off and uh, listen to Robert O'Brien, who's talking with Maggie Brennan about election influence is what the Russians were doing, which is when you go on Facebook and when you go on Facebook and, and you post ads or you do what the Iranians did and blame things on the Proud Boys, that's influence. That's not necessarily meddling. And we're going to see the difference. But get out and vote. That's how we defeat our foreign adversaries that are seeking to, to sow discord among Americans. Let's get out. You vote early, great. If you vote on election day, great. If you vote absentee, great. But get out and vote. That's how yeah. we stop the, the plans of our adversaries. And I would agree. And we are doing everything we can. And I want to make a distinction between election interference on election day and elect, trying to influence people. So there's lots of efforts to influence people, like these Iranian efforts to hurt the president by sending out these, these emails from the Proud Boys saying that uh, they know how you voted. Your vote's secret. Every American should understand that their vote is secret. Um, and that was an Iranian effort to hurt the president. Is that the, Russians, the U.S. intelligence the, community's assessment? I know the director of national intelligence said it, but I've been told that was his opinion, not the uh, intelligence community's I, I, assessment. That's, that's every assessment I've seen. And, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I think you're seeing the same thing. Microsoft had a report on election interference. So, so our election and, influencing. So you're seeing the Iranians do it. You're seeing the Russians and the people And the intelligence on, on community's Twitter. conclusion was that Russia was trying to undermine Joe Biden and thus to boost President Trump. I think what all these countries are trying to do, and, and, and China as well, is they're trying to dis sow discord among Americans. They're trying to create chaos, mm -hmm. and they're doing it whatever way they can. So, uh, but Specific that's election interference. But what I influence, I want to talk about election interference on election day, and, and that's something that we've taken a very strong uh, position on. Uh, we've, we've, we've told our foreign adversaries that don't yeah. try and mess with the ballots or that tampering, and, and it's very hard for them to do so because we have paper ballot auditing trails for 95% of the votes that are cast right. all across the country, and Secretary of State's are doing a great there job. there are seven states that don't have that backup system. By getting into those networks, they could somehow threaten election infrastructure. No, they can't change votes. They Can they make it harder for you to vote when you no. show up and show your no, ID? They, they, they can't do either of those things. And, and we got a hold of them early on because we've got great cyber folks and, and we put a stop to it. But there's nothing they can do to, to, to change your vote or to stop you from voting. Uh, I was out in Iowa just recently meeting with the Iowa National Guard, and they've got a tremendous cyber unit. That National Guard unit has stood up to, to help the Secretary of State of Iowa make sure that there's no cyber interference. And we've got that going across all 50 states. What are you going to do well, about it? Uh, well, well we're, we're, look, we're monitoring things very carefully, and I can tell you there's severe consequences to anyone who attempts to interfere with our elections on Election Day. But, Margaret, what I also want to tell you is we're also working on other things while we're doing that. I mean, we had a, a historic peace agreement in Sudan this week yes. with Sudan and Israel with a historic peace agreement uh, under the president's direction. Under the president's direction, we've spent this entire weekend, in addition to everything we're doing on election security, we spent the entire yes. weekend trying to broker peace in between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, there, there's a All lot right. going on uh, with this country. In, in addition to, to the election security issue, in Understood. addition to COVID, we're also, the president's trying to bring peace around the world, and, uh, and that's good for America as well. All right. Ambassador, thank you for giving us that news there. We have to leave it there. Moraka, who gives us some predictive programming as he speaks on um, the 1876 presidential election between Rutherford B. Hayes and Democrat Samuel Tilden, which um, 
they are trying to make this coming election turn out to be. So listen for all the signals. Still, the turnout that November 7th remains the highest ever for a presidential election. The turnout was 82% of eligible voters. That's extraordinary. You had two political parties competing throughout the nation with people very loyal to them. On election night, Tilden was ahead in the popular vote by 260,000 votes. Hayes actually got to bed believing Tilden had won, and he actually has interviews with reporters saying, I have lost. The Republican Party has to step in and tell him to stop saying that. That's because Republican officials still saw a narrow path to victory for Hayes. If Hayes could carry the three southern states where the results were not yet clear, Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina, he would win by one electoral vote. And they just issued a statement. Hayes has carried those states and is elected. And in a certain sense, it's almost like the 2000 election where Bush made an early claim of victory, even though it was so divided, and Gore never quite contested it properly. Contested it properly. And just in the year 2000, America in 1876 woke up the morning after the election not knowing who had won. The country had four months to figure out who would be its 19th president. This election was flawed from top to bottom. Massive voter fraud, says Foner, only added to the confusion. There was violence throughout the South against African-American voters to try to make it impossible for them to vote. Black men, almost all of whom were Republican back then, had only recently won the right to vote, and Southern Democrats were actively suppressing that vote. If there had been a fair election in the South, there's no question Hayes would have won by a large margin. But as the weeks dragged on, neither side was willing to concede. How tense did it get? There were Democratic newspapers with headlines, March to Washington to install Tilden as president. There were Republicans saying, we're on the verge of another civil war. Tilden or blood. This idea that if Tilden's not counted in, we might have another war, you know, to fight here. Was there a fear that there could be dueling presidencies? Yes. There were key Democrats who asked Tilden to take the oath of office anyway. And there were a lot of people who said, particularly businessmen and others, who said, we don't even care who's elected, but get this settled. But Congress was divided, and the Constitution offered no clear direction for resolving the impasse. So in January of 1877, a 15-member electoral commission was formed. The eight Republicans and seven Democrats would determine which candidate won the states in dispute. By some coincidence, all the electoral votes are allocated to Hayes by a vote of eight to seven in each case. That's right. The commission voted along party lines. But it's not over yet. It's not over yet. The Tilden camp cried foul. With inauguration just days away and the nation on edge, representatives for both candidates met in Washington for secret negotiations. The Compromise of 1877 
would have long-lasting repercussions for black Americans in the South. The Democrats will not stop the inauguration of Hayes. They will accept Hayes as president. Hayes will end the remaining Reconstruction. In other words, the Republicans get the White House. The Democrats effectively regain control of the American South. No more federal protection of the rights of recently freed African Americans. The Democrats promise they will respect the basic rights of the former slaves, which they do not do. Rutherford B. Hayes was certified as president on March 2, 1877. Samuel Tilden accepted the decision. Three days later, Hayes was inaugurated in a peaceful transfer of power. <laughs> That's it for us this week. See you next Sunday, Rudy's Revelation.